Good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Danny Russell, and I am uh, the Director of Ministries and Operations here at EBF. And it is a, a privilege, a true privilege, to stand before you this morning and preach God's Word. I know many of you have had hard weeks, confusing weeks, discouraging weeks, and some of you good weeks, <laughs> hopefully. But it's my hope that for the next 30 minutes that we'd be able to fix our eyes on Christ, whether or not you had a good week or not. And the glorious truth found in his word and that we would be nourished and built up in the faith. Uh, and before I begin, actually, I want to highlight two books really quickly, uh, one of which has been helpful in my sermon preparation and one of which as a way of introducing the sermon, uh, the text in scripture this morning. So as we recognize and, and honor Latino immigrants and Latino culture today during the service, in addition to John Luca reading the scripture in both English and Spanish, I wanted to also commend this commentary on Philippians to you all uh, by a guy named Moises Silva. Silva is a Cuban immigrant to the United States, and he is widely recognized for his scholarly work and his translation work. He helped translate versions of the Bible, such as the New American Standard Bible, the New Living Translation, and the English Standard Version, the ESV, which is the version we typically read at EBF. Uh, though the book, it's, it's rather academic as a forewarning, um, I have found it really accessible and helpful, uh, especially in figuring out the context of the book of Philippians and um, even the translation of specific words and phrases. Um, so I want to commend it to you as a resource that is biblically, theologically, and exegetically sound. And then, secondly, I want to commend to you a biography about a man, a man named Palendo. I had a chance to read his story earlier this year after my wife introduced me to it, and his story is really incredible. Palendo was a Congolese man who lived in the early to mid-1900s. And the book highlights his transformation from a godless man with many questions about life into a prolific preacher and evangelist. And what is especially striking about his story is how seriously he took God's word immediately upon his conversion. You see this in his life by the way that he lived out the commands of Scripture. When he heard something from God's word, he did it. He talked the talk, but yes, but he also walked the walk. He practiced what he preached. And, and throughout Palendo's life, he traveled from village to village, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And despite much opposition from village leaders and, and, and quite a few life-threatening scenarios, he continued on in faith and obedience. And we'll have a little bit more on him later. I think as modern-day Christians, especially in our church, where, where many of you are very well-educated, we are often tempted to simply know a lot about God's Word, that our maturity is solely measured by our knowledge. When you think of growth, you might think of memorizing more Scripture or, or simply digging deeper into, into the Bible. And, of course, those are good things. And those are for another sermon on another day to, to know and to um, grow in intelligence about Scripture. Um, but today, 
I want to remind you of the importance of not just knowing about the faith, but truly living out the faith. The importance of putting our faith into practice. As Christians, we can't just talk the talk. We're we're called to also walk the walk. In in our text today, uh, which John Luca read, Paul is going to raise two models of the faith before our eyes. Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are guys who, like Polendo, they live out God's word. They are men who walked the walk. They are models of people truly living out the faith. Now, before we jump into the text, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise you for giving us your word. We praise you that your word is trustworthy and meant for our good. Yet we confess to you that we are a people that are naturally bent towards disobedience. We confess that we often hear your word, but we don't do it. Thank you for sending Jesus to perfectly live out your word and die on the cross in our place. This morning, as we look at these two godly examples in Timothy and Epaphroditus, help us to live out our faith as they have modeled. Mold our hearts, convict us of sin, and remind us of your amazing grace. Amen. So I want to start with a brief overview of the, the context of this passage because I'm guessing that many of you hear this passage, you heard it read earlier, and you're not quite sure what is going on. So to put it simply, in this passage, Paul is explaining why he is sending Epaphroditus to visit the Philippians instead of Timothy. On, on, the, on the surface, these two paragraphs are about logistics. Paul, he can't send Timothy to Philippi yet. So instead, it will be better if Epaphroditus is sent now. You see this both in verses 19 and in verse 23, where uh, where Paul explains that he hopes to send Timothy just as soon as a few things are figured out, but not yet. And then in verse 25, Paul says it is necessary to send Epaphroditus now instead. You see, Epaphroditus is actually a Philippian believer who was sent by the church to Paul in order to deliver financial support. This is a detail that we'll see more clearly in chapter 4 when we cover it, but you see it as well here where Paul calls him their messenger and their minister. And so now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to his church. But now, why is this passage written in the eternal word of God? Does God simply want us to forever remember the logistics of who was going where and when? Maybe. If that were the case, though, that could have been really covered in about two sentences. Rather, in this passage, what we see is Paul highlighting these men as models to emulate. And you see that throughout discussing the details, there are nuggets dropped all over the place, commending Timothy and Epaphroditus. And in doing so, Paul's purpose is emphasizing the teaching that he has just laid out in the previous section. Now, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, 
um, we have been covering a lot of instruction in the scriptures. Starting from, from chapter 1, verse 27 in Philippians, there's a lot of stuff to remember and to follow. Paul talks about being of one mind, with one spirit, striving side by side in the faith. He talks about counting others more important than yourselves. He talks about Christ, who took on the form of the servant, and how we are supposed to have the same mind as him. And then in this section, it's as if Paul is trying to summarize the teaching that he just laid out to show what it looks like to live it out, to live out our faith through these two models of the faith. Paul is summarizing the teaching he just laid out through the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And this morning, I want to highlight three characteristics that Timothy and Epaphroditus model for the Philippian church. Three characteristics that they model. The first, they are models of concern. Models of concern. Second, they are models of unity. Models of unity. And third, and finally, they are models of servanthood. Models of servanthood. Let's jump into the first point, models of concern, by looking at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Uh, this is talking about Timothy, of course, and, and here we see that Timothy is not experiencing a polite level of concern, one, one that, that voices his concern, but he doesn't really feel it on the inside. Timothy has a genuine concern for these people. This phrase communicates a, a painstaking concern, one, one that would be indicative of a family relationship. And, and he wasn't just concerned for them in general. He wasn't just uh, anxious about what they were going to do. He was specifically concerned for their welfare. He genuinely wanted them to flourish. This is the type of concern for brothers and sisters in Christ that can only be described as a working of the Holy Spirit, a product of a regenerate heart that has new desires, new affections, and as we see here, new concerns. And we see this even more clearly if you move to verse 21. It continues, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In this sentence, Paul equates Timothy's concern and the interests of Jesus. Paul has no one else like Timothy, for everyone else is seeking their own interest, but Timothy, he is seeking the interests of Christ, the welfare of God's people. Timothy, in fact, is a model of what was taught earlier in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 to count others more significant than yourself and, and to look to the interests of others. Notice how this is a clear example of someone living out the truth that Paul just taught. It's as if he's saying, look at Timothy. Look at how he cares for others. And while Timothy is a model of concern to the Philippians, he's also a model of concern to us at EBF. Do you feel genuine concern for the people of God? 
Do you desire the welfare of the people who make up the body of Christ? I think an easy measure of this is to think about your ethos community. Now, I know not all of you in this room right now are in an ethos community, and if you aren't, I strongly encourage you to get plugged in. The list of groups is in your bulletin. But in many of our ethos communities, our, our groups spend time sharing prayer requests and then praying for each other during the meetings. And, and this is a practice that is powerful and necessary. But a helpful measure for where our hearts are at is to think about what we do with those requests outside of ethos. Do you pray for them during the week? Do you follow up with people to, to see how things are going? A situation came up actually in my ethos community this week when, when one of our group members had flooding in his apartment and, and he reached out to our group for prayer and extra towels. <laughs> and in response to this, I want to commend to you Paul and Susan Belisles. They expressed their genuine concern for this person offering to bring over towels as soon as possible, and even offering for this person to stay with them in the meantime. Genuine concern for his welfare. But genuine concern, it's not always shown in dramatic situations like flooding or cross-country trips to visit churches. It could start with a simple step, which to some of you, a, a simple step, but could really be a quite scary step. And that's just starting to get to know people. Starting to get to know people. Join an ethos community. Talk to a person sitting near you that you don't know. Go, if you're new, go to EBF 101 after the service. Serve in a volunteer role to get more plugged in. Because as you get to know people, your, you will grow in your concern for them. As you get to know people, you will grow in your concern for them. What could it look like for you to show genuine concern for your brothers and sisters? Let's move on to our next point. Models of unity. Look at verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. I want to highlight three words that Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus. Brother, worker, and soldier. It's easy to glance over those words, and even just to glance over this entire verse is just simply an introduction. But these words carry weight. They show the transforming power of the gospel to bring unity. One commentator puts it this way. Paul had been a proud Pharisee and Epaphroditus at one time would have been no more to Paul than a Gentile dog. In quotes. But Christ had brought them into a relationship of true emotion, perfect brotherhood, and cooperation in the work. 
Now, in the next chapter, Paul, he'll talk about his life before Christ, that he was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, someone who actively persecuted the church. And Epaphroditus, on the other hand, as I already mentioned, he's from Philippi, which was located in Macedonia, making him a Gentile. Before they knew Christ, these men would have had no business working together. Paul would have wanted to kill Epaphroditus. And yet through the the power and transformation of the gospel, we see unity. Enemies who have become brothers. Opposing forces who are now working side by side. Soldiers who were once fighting across battle lines who are now arm in arm serving the same king. These men model what was taught in chapter 1, verse 27. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, a whole sermon could be preached on this topic uh, to explain really the nuance needed, um, that having one spirit and one mind, it doesn't eliminate individual distinction. It doesn't eliminate the beauty of different cultures. It doesn't call Christians to be robots. Um, But what it does call us to is unity. To view our church as our family. To look around the room and to realize that that these people here are, have become your brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers, your sons and daughters. To view our church, the people in this room, as your co-workers. That we are all striving side by side to proclaim the kingdom of God. To view our church as fellow soldiers. That in our daily spiritual battles, we are not fighting alone. And this is why I love church membership. It is the official process of joining the local church. It's the process of formally saying, I want these people, I want these people to be my brothers and sisters to be my co-workers, to be my fellow soldiers. And if you were to come to the membership class after the service, or if you're already a member of EBF, you, know, you would know that all of our members sign a covenant. They sign a covenant both to the church and to one another. Since church membership is like becoming a part of a new family, we ask people to commit to things, uh, like the first statement in the covenant. To walk together in Christian love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or like the third statement in the, in the covenant. To purpose to watch over one another in brotherly love. To remember one another in prayer. To help one another in sickness and distress. And to cultivate Christian compassion and courtesy. Now, of course, many of you know that this is not always easy. Because like Paul and Epaphroditus, our fellow church members aren't always people who would naturally be our friends. They, they aren't always people that we would associate with if not for the gospel. Sometimes there are people that you don't agree with. 
people that you don't like or people who don't look like you. Unity is easy in theory, but a lot harder in practice. Has the gospel transformed your mind as you think about people who you don't agree with? People you don't like? People who don't look like you? Has the gospel transformed your mind yet? Or, or are you, do you find yourself waiting for the gospel to transform everyone else's mind first? And, and are you willing to take the first step towards others to pursue unity? To pursue becoming a spiritual family, a gathering of co-workers, a, a battalion of soldiers fighting the same battle? In Epaphroditus and Paul, what we see is a model of unity. Well, let's move on to our third point. Models of servanthood. Look at verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And then if you'll move down to verse 30, talking now about Epaphroditus. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In these verses, we see how much these men have committed their lives for the sake of serving in the gospel. Each one of them, Timothy first, he, he's someone that we know a little bit more about. But if you were to go and read Acts 16, you would see how he left his hometown to serve with Paul, proclaiming Christ and planting churches. And, and here Paul describes their relationship as a son with a father serving together in the gospel. Timothy has given up all that is familiar to him for the sake of servanthood. And with Epaphroditus, we don't know quite as much about him as we do about Timothy, but what we see in this passage is someone committed to servanthood. After he was sent from Philippi to visit Paul, as we talked about, and deliver the church's support, Epaphroditus at some point became ill along the journey. We see this in the passage. In fact, so ill that he was near to death, as Paul mentions twice. Yet, this didn't stop him from completing the journey, as he risked his life for the work of Christ, to be a servant. Timothy and Epaphroditus, they model what Paul taught about the life of Christ in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. In taking on human flesh, Jesus emptied himself and came to earth in the form of a servant. The Son of Man, who is the worthy King, who's deserving of all of our service, came not to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. And as I read these verses, I was reminded of Polendo, who, who I talked about at the beginning of the sermon. On one of his trips to preach the gospel in a village, Polendo was attacked by six young men who pulled out guns to shoot him. The only problem is, the guns wouldn't go off. Now, the chief of the village said to Polendo that he would take care of the men. But Polendo replied, If you do that, we may forever close the road for the gospel to enter Mogombo, 
which is the name of the village. The chief, then next, he tried to pay off, uh, pay off Polendo so that he wouldn't go to the authorities. And in reply, Polendo only asked that the villagers be encouraged to go to church. Not only did his conduct impact that village, but the news spread to other villages and, and the door to the gospel swung open. Polendo wasn't afraid of what it would cost him personally. The threat of people wanting to kill him, it didn't faze him. Polendo had his eyes set on serving the people of Mogombo and doing the work of Christ. So I want to ask you, what length are you willing to go to serve others? What length are you willing to go to serve others? Now these examples, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Polendo, um, they're all rather extreme, right? But what if your desire to serve in the gospel costs you your job? Not necessarily because you get fired, but, but because you come to the realization that your job is getting in the way of you serving others. Or what if it means that you can't play video games as much? Or, or, or watch as many TV shows? Or, or maybe you need to reevaluate your spending? What if you're called into missions? What lengths are you willing to go to serve others? In Timothy and Epaphroditus, we have models set before us, showing us what servanthood looks like. Now, whenever we hear sermons like this, if you're anything like me, uh, it's tempting to turn, to become a moralist, to just think that we need to work harder, that if we do this, this, and this, then we'll finally be good Christians. Check all the boxes, like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Then, then we'll be good. Or, on the other hand, which I'm also like this, I happen to be both, it's tempting to get discouraged if we don't live up to these models of the faith. I mean, these men set a high bar. And it's tempting to turn to self-condemnation or, or shame in the face of high standards. I want to close by reminding you that while these men are, are models of the faith, that, that Jesus Christ is our perfect model. Let's not forget that uh, just before in chapter 2, I want to reread verses 5 through 11, as we covered a few weeks ago. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus 
our perfect model, who had so much concern for the welfare of his people that he gave up his place in heaven and took on flesh in order to rescue us. Jesus, our perfect model, who took on human form to be in unity with his bride, striving side by side with his people, God with us. And Jesus, our perfect model, who took on the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who was not only our perfect model, not simply an example, but our perfect substitute, who did all of these things in our place, on our behalf, checking every box, surpassing the example of every person before him and after him, living a righteous life, and then dying the death that we all deserved for our sins, so that all who turn from their sin and trust in him will be saved. And now he is highly exalted. Above all, the resurrected king, who we can bow our knees before and trust. We can pursue concern for our brothers and sisters. Unity and servanthood out of the freedom of the gospel. Not to earn God's approval or to earn the approval of man, but we can do it knowing that Jesus has already earned the approval that we need. Now we're free to to look at the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus and, and, and to simply allow the Spirit of God to convict us of sin where it's needed. We can look at Timothy and Epaphroditus and say, I want to have concern for my brothers and sisters in Christ like them. I want to have unity like them. I want to be a servant like them. Where does my life not line up? Or, or maybe where am I encouraged and doing well? Brothers and sisters, take heart as you seek to truly live out the teaching of Scripture. Pursue genuine concern, unity, and servanthood in the freedom of the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we don't measure up to your word. But we know that Christ is our perfect substitute. We trust in Christ and the forgiveness offered to us at the cross. Help us to walk forward in freedom, to be people that have genuine concern for the flourishing of the body of Christ, to have unity with each other, and to be servant-hearted. Lord, we can only do this through the power and working of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.